0: Good morning, Mosaic. I hope you're doing well, enjoying your living room, maybe even in your jammies. And uh, so what a comfortable way to enjoy church. So those of you who thought that you wanted to have Pastor Pillow, you have an opportunity to enjoy Pastor Pillow, even on your couch this morning. So we're glad that you're joining us. I have no idea how many are there, but we hope that many are uh, joining us today. So if you missed last week, you were challenged by Pastor Rick to view COVID-19 as, as not so much an evil scourge straight from the pit of hell, but instead something that God in his infinite wisdom allows and is part of a grand scheme that he has for us. He also challenged us to view this time as a great opportunity to love our neighbor sacrificially as Christ loved us. If you did not see that last week, it's a great opportunity to go back and see what he had to share with us last week. So we're going to pick up on that, our next um, item, and that's called, what does it mean for us to be an authentic voice of hope uh, in the midst of crisis and hopelessness? What does that mean? Not only just to love sacrificially, but how do we have hope in the midst of this time when there's so much uncertainty? So I want you to consider this, Mosaic. All of this hype about the COVID-19 pandemic is due to our collective fear of our hopes and expectations about life not being realized. I'm going to share that again. All of this hype about COVID-19 pandemic is due to our collective fear of our hopes and expectations about life not being realized. Whether most of us recognized it or not, we expected and anticipated even hope for a life free from the fear of living without toilet paper. Whether it was a single-ply Walmart brand that you can practically see through, or the ultra-premium cloth-like luxury of Charmin, All of us assumed and hoped for a life that included TP on the toilet paper hanger. And when that expected future became threatened, our behaviors quickly changed to ensure our hopes were not dashed. And so that's when this kind of thing happens. And practically every store around, this is what you're going to see. And the toilet paper and paper towels. It's just extending beyond. Even even now, you can't get napkins, because I think people are thinking long term here. But our hopes and expectations are more serious than mere toilet paper. I'm guessing that all of us have had a variety of expectations and hopes about experiences in our life that we've played out in our heads many times during even the last couple of weeks. Often these are good hopes and good expectations, but over time they can become the ultimate ends in themselves, almost to the point of being idols. Things like, I'm hoping to finish college and to become an ex someday. Good thing but it can be something even more than that. My hope is to be married sometime before I'm 25, or at least 30. I'm expecting to have kids, preferably three or four, and for all of them to be healthy, and for all of them to be well-behaved. Or I desperately want to be around my kids until they're at least adults, or at least to be there for them so they can walk my daughter or my daughters down uh, down the aisle. That was a driving desire of mine. I did not want to die before my kids had reached adulthood. I felt like that would be my, the one thing I could give them is my love and my care for them through that point. And I desperately wanted to walk my daughters down the aisle. Or I want to live to be 85 and to see my grandkids into adulthood. That can be a drive and desire, a good hope, a good expectation, but it can become more than that. Or I want to celebrate our 50th anniversary together and be happy in my marriage. Good expectation can be more. Or I deeply wanna see my grandkids grow up and cheer them on into adulthood. Grandkids like um, the ones that are missing on the slide. So in the face of COVID, these hopes and expectations are powerful drivers for us, aren't they? And all too often they can become subtle musts in life for which we do almost anything to ensure they occur. Some of you say, no, this whole COVID craziness is about our fear of death. And I agree to a point, but I would suggest to you that everyone above the age, say 11 or 12, knows that we're all going to die. Unless Jesus returns soon, none of us are getting out of this game of life alive. So if that's not it, So it's that driving hope for more years for ourselves and with people that we love and value that has me checking online on a daily basis, sometimes a couple times a day, to see how many COVID cases are in every one of my family's counties across the United States. And I have a lot of family members. Can anyone relate to that? In the face of growing uncertainty and insecurity about the future and the degree of threat this has for our closely held hopes and expectations for our lives, we fret and worry, and we surely are seeing the world do that. And if I'm honest, that's me too. And the more powerful those hopes are related to our expected future, the more we fear and we will do anything to prevent our hopes from being dashed. Again, I give to you, present, uh, present to you Exhibit A. My boss recently wrote this as part of a devotional he shared with our staff. As this COVID-19 crisis quickly unfolded, he wrote, I found myself experiencing strong feelings, emotions I could not identify. At first, I thought it might be anxiety, but I'm not usually given to that. I'm not normally driven by fear, and fear has not been really an issue for me during this particular bad news cycle. And as the uneasy feeling grew, I thought it must be depression. It felt a lot like depression, but this was something so severe it literally hurt then the other night, I read an article about grief. It was an answer to prayer. One of our resident counselors had posted it on Facebook. When I finished it, I knew what I had been experiencing was grief. I have been grieving. It's an emotion I have had, not had a lot of experience with, and it's a feeling I would like to avoid in the future, but I know it is impossible. What, I, what was I grieving? What exactly did I lose that threw me into that horrible pit? Hope. I was grieving the loss of hope. See, I had plans, wonderful plans, great and good things were on the horizon. I had it all scheduled out, and now I was doubting if any of it would ever happen. For a few spiritual foggy days, I had lost my way, and thus I had lost my hope. Maybe some of you can relate. Perhaps this pandemic is playing on you in the same way, causing you to wonder what to hope for in the midst of so much uncertainty. Perhaps you have felt generally hopeless about any number of issues and concerns in your life for which you've hoped for, you have had hope for change, for resolution, but none of that is forthcoming. Perhaps you've lost hope in yourself that you will never change, that the sin patterns and struggles you experience will always be there. So today I'd like to talk about what it means at Mosaic for us to be a voice of hope, an authentic voice of hope, in the midst of challenge, crisis, and hopelessness. With so many forms of security and hope being pulled out from under our feet like rugs, there are so many forms of security and hope, Oh, excuse me, the world is crying out for hope, for real hope in the midst of uncertainty. There are so many paths we can go down today regarding this topic, but here are three questions I'd like to tackle through the lens of God's Word. How can I possibly be a voice of hope, when I'm feeling routinely anxious and depressed myself? Number two, how do I have an authentic voice of hope that doesn't come across to those around me as living in a Pollyanna-la-la land? What does it mean to have grounded hope? And third, what difference does it make to be a voice of hope? What's the point? But before we go down that, those uh, three paths, let me just um, talk about the difference between faith and faith and hope, because at first blush, they seem very similar to each other. And I just want to separate out what, what do we mean by that? For instance, many of us will say, I have put my faith and hope in Christ, and hopefully you all have. Is there really a difference between the two? Or are we talking about the same thing? Here's what I uh, looked and thought about over the course of this last couple of weeks. Faith and hope are related concepts. For instance, Hebrews 1 says, 1:1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. They are related. But faith is more of a complete trust or confidence in something. Faith involves intellectual assent to a set of facts and trust in those facts. For example, we have faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We know those things. We know that Jesus did something for us. Whereas hope has set its sight for something that's in the future, that has yet to happen. With hope, it's integrally linked to this dimension of time. Must. Uh, Hope must involve something that is as yet unseen. In Romans 8.24, which happened to be where I was reading today for my devotions, it says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. What hopes, who hopes for what they have already, what they already have, says St. Paul. Hope is something that has yet to occur, but this notion of hope is what I, I like. This is this, this earnest anticipation, a peaceful assurance, an optimistic attitude based on the expectation or desire that something good is coming, indeed, that it will happen. In fact, in uh, Titus 2.13, it says that while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. In fact, in another version, it refers to Jesus as our blessed hope our blessed hope. That is our true hope. So faith and hope are a little bit different. And, uh, and so we'll, and we'll be focusing now on this notion of hope, this peaceful assurance, this optimistic attitude that what we believe in will indeed occur. And so that's a long, long intro to getting ultimately to those three questions that I mentioned. In case you're concerned, please don't lose hope that we will get through this quickly enough. So let's go to that first question. How do I possibly feel genuine hope when I'm frequently feeling anxious and depressed? It's so easy to go back down this track, isn't it? Maybe you've just lost your job. Maybe you see warnings of bear markets and recessions in the immediate future. You look at your 401k, or better yet, don't, and you go, oh, no. You're concerned about paying your rent or your mortgage and you're living paycheck to paycheck and thinking, oh, no, how are we gonna do this? Those are all legitimate concerns, aren't they? For most of us, they would make us go, yikes. And we struggle to be hopeful in the midst of that. And in the face of those realities, and and those are in fact real issues, we can add to our anxiety through habits that work against us and certainly work against being a voice of hope. So I'd like to talk about three underlying habits that increase our anxiety and discouragement. One of it is just focusing too much on today's problems, whatever they are. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them, right? But the more we focus on the problem as opposed to the solution, the more we focus on, on the, the issues that just drive us crazy, the more we're tending to move into that anxious and depressed state, isn't it? That's just how we work. That's how we, are oper- how we operate as people. And so well, let me just suggest one thing, is that we stop reading the news several times a day And I'm speaking to myself here. I feel like I have to do that for my organization. I need to know what the governor's gonna say. But frankly, it just drives me into a place of anxiety and maybe you can uh, understand that too. Focusing on the problem does not in the end yield the kind of hope that we need to be as a community. Secondly, there can be an underlying habit that we can have as a lack of examining the foundations of our hope and security. What so often can be is that, what the beauty of a COVID-19 crisis like this is that all of a sudden we're starting to say, what I put hope and security in doesn't provide hope and security. It's a false hope. And there's an opportunity for us right now to say what really matters? What truly matters? In what can we have peaceful assurance and an optimistic attitude about at this point in our life? Placing our hope in someone or something else is in vain and destined to fail. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, again and again, God is saying to the kings that are leading Israel and Judah, don't trust in this king. Don't trust in that king because that's not, what it's gonna, that's not what's going to carry you through. In fact, in Isaiah 20 verse 5, uh, Isaiah is, is talking to uh, the, the, uh, the king at that point point. said, who, who trusted those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be dismayed and be put to shame. He said, don't go that way. Don't trust in those kings when a serious barking uh, down your your throat here. You need to be mindful that it's me, it's God and God alone. So hope and faith are effective only if they're placed in the Lord. I think COVID-19 is revealing to all of us what our hopes and security is based on. And for many of us, those those of our hopes and securities were on shifting, shifting sand. God is saying to each of us, all of those hopes and expectations that you hold dear, I need to release release them because I'm writing a different story, a new story. And the longer you cling to those life expectations instead of me, you will be holding on to false hopes and disappointments. Let me open your hands so that you hold on to what only provides lasting hope. And the idea that I had related to this is this notion that I have when I walk through life and I want to hold on to things that don't have hope. But I want to hold on to them because they're important to me. They're what I value. And, and, and God says, no, let go of those things. Let go of those things that, that seem so important but really are not. And what I want you to do is just do that. Let go. Let me give you what you need because your hope is really only in me. In fact, I have sitting on my desk this little cross that says my future is in his hands. And that every day I get reminded where my true future is. And so rather than holding on to these stupid little things that seem like important, my 401k, any kind of future, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. Rather than placing our trust in our federal government or our state government or which political party is in power right now, we instead focus on and face our face on the one who does control it all. And we read and memorize scripture like the ones that are following things like this. Why, my soul, you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me, says the psalmist? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. And he's not saying in the midst of a great time. I'm confident that he's downcast, he's upset, he's concerned, right? At that moment when he was writing this, because things were looking like they are right now to us, uncertain, insecure, scary. And yet the psalmist said, that's where my hope is. Put it in God. Or where Isaiah says, for those who hope in the Lord, and again, he's writing in a time where things aren't looking great. Isaiah says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. That's where our hope is, folks. All those other things, we just need to release them. They're not important. But there's a third habit that I want us to talk about that can underlie where our anxiety and discouragement come from. And when we change this habit into a strength, it holds incredible power in our lives to move from anxiety to hope. It's a lack of gratefulness or thankfulness. Are you the kind of person about whom folks would say the glass is half empty? Or are you normally half full, but the scare of COVID-19 is, is, has you uh, feeling kind of a negative slant on everything right now? The news and circumstances are pulling you down into a place where you don't want to be, but you don't know how to get out. The enemy loves this, doesn't he? Because when we are discouraged and anxious, we are so often fruitless. In fact, you probably have heard that one of Satan's strongest, most powerful tools is the tool of discouragement. He loves us when we're discouraged. But there's good news. It's the practice of gratefulness. And it's one of the most powerful secrets in God's arsenal when dealing with stressful situations, especially those things that are outside of our control. It truly is the antidote to all kinds of ills, including anxiety. In fact, neuroscientists and psychologists have discovered that the act and mindset of being grateful improves overall happiness, physical health, relational health. My wife and I can speak to that in in depth. That made a huge difference in our marriage. Professional commitment, go figure reduces pain. The act of being grateful and thankful actually reduces pain in your body. It improves sleep quality. Go figure. It reduces anxiety and depression. It regulates by regulating stress uh, hormones. In fact, so much so that it's considered in scientific circles as the natural antidepressant. Being grateful is the natural antidepressant. About five years ago, I participated in a training where the trainer said that the most potent Force against fear and anxiety is gratefulness. And he led us through an example of that where he had us picture ourselves in a place where we felt most grateful. And so you kind of had to go in your mind to a place in a time where you felt extremely grateful. And he had already talked about what do you fear? And so he had us first think about all those things that we, that we fear. And we focused on one of our biggest fears before he started us that, that down that path. Then we moved from that place to our point of gratefulness. And we just sat in that point of gratefulness for a minute or two. And then he asked us, so what are you feeling now? What's your point? What's your point of fear now, one to 10? And practically every one of us were one or two at that point, we fear, felt the fear intensely when we went to a point of gratefulness and thankfulness about as we did that in our head, it was amazing to see how our fear just dissipated, our anxieties went away. Paul is the same one uh, oh, without being a neuroscientist or knowing anything about neurotransmitters, Paul could write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this verse that I absolutely love. One of the first that I memorized, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus will, oh, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. That's not a suggestion. I think it wouldn't be a good idea for you to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. It's a command. Why? Because we have this opportunity to put our stuff before God. Our concerns, our issues, our fears, and say, Lord, they're yours, and to do it with thanksgiving. And to do it with Thanksgiving. What a powerful, powerful reminder that it always comes with Thanksgiving so that as we are going through life, we can say, I'm thankful for this. As I drove in today, the spring examples were just abundant, weren't they? The trees are alive, the birds are singing. The first thing that I heard this morning was this, this uh, bird hanging outside our house, just singing away. The flowers are coming up. The daffodils are actually moving past. The, the pear trees are blooming. It is gorgeous outside. It's getting warmer. There's so many things. I have a home. I have a wife. I have a job. I don't know if that's going to change, but by golly, there's so many things to be thankful for in this world. God has given us peace. In fact, in the first Thessalonians 5, Paul says, in all things, give thanks. Under all circumstances, give thanks. Paul was onto something. He understood. So let's move on to the second thing here. What do we need to do? The second question. How do I speak hope authentically and not sound like I live in a la-la land? So hope in Paul's writing focuses on future blessings that believers obtain by faith in Christ and the realization of his love for us and salvation. Paul wrote to believers who had experienced various kinds of losses, the loss of health, a loved one in persecution, are just some of the challenges that may have led some in Paul's day, and may cause some presently to challenge or question God's love. So when I talk about this, I, I, want us, I want us to have a grounded, authentic voice of hope. And so when we're when we're talking about that, here are a few things that I thought were were most useful. First off, we speak to hope in that which we have confidence. I don't. I don't know what the stock market's going to do. And frankly, I don't think any of us do. I don't think the best best people in the stock market have any idea what's going to happen. I don't think anybody, even some of the best folks who are epidemiologists, know how this this COVID thing is going to play out. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that these things right here, I can count on. They're bedrock. Take them to the bank. God's unfailing love. For us is guaranteed. Just a few of those verses, you can, you can go online and search for this, and there's many, many, but here are just a few. May your unfailing love, says the psalmist, be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And other verses there as well. Or God's goodness, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, says the psalmist again. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, who puts our hope in him, that we trust in because we know that he is good. At all times, he is good. Or God's use of suffering. God uses suffering, doesn't he? And I don't know all that purpose that he has right now, and I don't want to speak for other people, but, but God does use it. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. The end result of suffering is hope. And in that process, he changes us again and again through those most difficult life experiences. These are the things we can put hope in, guys. And lastly, God's sovereignty. Psalm 42.2 says, again, at the end of Job going through this experience of losing everything, all of his kids, all of his belongings, nothing. He says, I know you can do all things and no, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know you hold it all. God, you are, per- you are perfect. You got it all. I can trust you. You are sovereign. Many other verses, Psalm 103, 19, Proverbs sixteen nine, Philippians 1, 6 speak to this as well. Lots there. Those are the things we can take to the bank. And we could go on about his faithfulness. We could talk about so many different things about God's character and how he is true and right. But secondly, as it relates to how do we speak authentically, is that we're unafraid of the brutal facts On your screen here, you see a picture of James Stockdale, who during the Vietnam War was held captive as a a prisoner of war for seven years. He was one of the highest ranking naval officers at the time. And over Vietnam, he was shot down, one of the first men to be shot down, and he spent seven years in a horrific, horrific experience. During that span of seven years, he was tortured repeatedly, had no reason to believe he'd make it out alive. Held in the clutches of grim reality of his hell world, he found a way to stay alive by embracing both the harshness of his situation with a balance of healthy optimism. Stockdale explained his idea as the following, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality and preparing for the worst." In the most simplest explanation of this paradox, it's the beginning of hoping for the best, but acknowledging, preparing for the worst. In a discussion with Jim Collins, a a writer of the book called Good to Great and many others, Stockdale Stockdale speaks about how the optimist fared in camp. The dialogue goes, who didn't make it out, uh, uh, Mr. Stockdale? Oh, that's easy, he said, the optimists. The optimists I don't understand. I said, now completely confused, giving what he'd said of um, uh, a few minutes earlier. The optimists, he said. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be home and out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they're the ones who died of a broken heart. Followers of Christ are unafraid to confront the brutal facts because we know in whom our security and hope is found. We can say, this pandemic could be around for a while, probably past Easter. This could be many months, and it's possible that normal life will not return for quite a while. It's possible that this virus will not only sicken family members, friends across our paths, including here in Mosaic, and coworkers, but it could actually take loved ones, dearly loved ones, And it could take me. And while I would deeply grieve and perhaps for a time even question God's goodness and faithfulness, I know that my Redeemer lives, that Jesus loves me, and his presence is with me and us, and that he will be walking us through this journey together, that he will never leave or forsake us, even unto death. That's our reality. And we're okay, we're unafraid to confront the brutal facts of that. It's okay. It's okay because Jesus has us through this process. Consider, too, the early Christians for whom deadly persecution was common. You know, under Emperor Nero, he would actually put tar on Christians alive, then he would put them up on posts, and then he would light the fire. And as people would walk through Rome, they would see Christians burning. Or he would put them, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's incredible how in each section of the known world at that point, thousands and thousands of people died by way of persecution and in horrible deaths. If you watch the, the movie called Paul, an Apostle of Christ, you see this very riveting scene where there's some Christians that are being led into the Colosseum to be fed to the lions. And they're anxious and they're concerned like any of us would be. And yet the, 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 the speaker shares with them where their hope is, that even in the midst of that, that grim death, that grim future that they're looking at, they can have hope because it is Jesus that holds our hand through those experiences. Now, some of you may say, this sounds incredibly disturbing. Where's the hope in this, Jeff? I think as Christians, we are the ones who more than any others can, can confront the brutal facts. We can look at that straight in the face and say, we have hope. Because our hope is not here. This is just, we're just passing through, guys. Just passing through. Our greatest hope is on the other side of the veil. And we, even in the midst while we're here, even before death takes us, we have this powerful trust that God is holding on to us through his son Jesus. Paul's response speaks so clearly to this when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, what I read this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or COVID-19. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's grounded hope. Not Pollyanna hope, not Lala hope. That's grounded hope. Unless you think this kind of inspirational hope was only possible 2000 years ago because those super apostles back then could do it, let me share a more recent example. On May 21st, 2008. This one always gets me. 5-year-old Maria Sue Chapman accidentally run over by Chapman's son Will Franklin after she ran into the path of his SUV in their driveway. Maria later died in a Nashville hospital shortly after this. Steven wrote the song that includes these lyrics shortly thereafter. Slowly panic turns to pain as we awake to what remains and sift through the ashes that are left behind. But buried deep beneath all our broken dreams, we have this hope. Out of the ashes, beauty will rise as we sing earlier today. And we will dance among the ruins, we will see it with our own eyes. Out of these ashes, beauty will rise. For we know joy is coming in the morning, beauty will rise. I can almost feel the hand of God, he writes, reaching for my face to weep, wipe the tears away. You say it's time to make everything new, making it all new. This is our hope, this is our promise. This is our hope, this is our promise it will take our breath away to see the beauty that's been made out of the ashes. And we have that same kind of hope as we experience sometimes the brutal facts, the unpleasant realities, the discomfort beyond just not having toilet paper. The third question for us is, so what difference does it make? Our final question. What does it matter? What's the point of being this, having this voice of hope? And I would say, number one, it matters to us because we need it ourselves, don't we? It's so easy to go down that path. And, and the reality is we can get discouraged and anxious And and we need a better solution than that, right? We don't need to stay in that. We need that powerful voice of hope for ourselves. Because without that, we're not going to have power in advancing God's kingdom. That's why we're here. He's given us purpose and meaning about advancing the things that matter to him while we're here. Because our life counts. And I don't want to live a discouraged, anxious, hopeless life. And I'm sure you don't either. Secondly, it aligns our own head and heart. Sometimes just by giving voice to the hope, by speaking it aloud, not just thinking in our head, but by giving voice, we start to feel an experience. We can push down what's, what we're having in our head down into, into our heart. And we need that. So oftentimes, just being able to be a voice of hope to each other with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers reminds you, yes, this is true. I need this for me. And it reminds us that there's a purpose and value for suffering. We may not fully understand it. Job didn't fully understand it, but he knew God was God, that he wasn't, and that there's value and purpose out of this. I think we're all discovering that already. We're beginning to see things that God is revealing to us as a result of this pandemic that we realize we we, we had hopes and security based on shifting sand. But it's not only valuable to us. And the reason we do this is that it's benefit, there's a benefit for, for those that are uh, around us as well when we are grounded in true hope. Not false hope, but true hope. Others are desperately in need of that and can borrow from our hope, right? They can borrow from our hope when they see that. If they're feeling anxious and they're not feeling so sure, that's something that we can offer to them. And it gives them hope to go on to the next day Nearly 13% of Americans right now are taking antidepressants. Clearly, many of us around us are struggling with a sense of deep sadness and hopelessness. Those around, us are, those around us are clinging to idols that can't begin to hold up under the stress and strain of COVID-19. We can be that voice of hope that says there's a better way. There is a place and there's a person. <laughs> there is a person in whom we can have true hope. And then secondly, it has the ability to attract others to Christ. As people see us clinging to what is most important, the thing that, can, that does provide true hope, they might go, hmm, that's not what I'm having. That's not my experience. I wonder what he or she has. I wonder what's giving him that kind of hope. And that's powerful. Oh. And so in the midst of uncertainty, rumors and dashed hopes of things in light of eternity and God's sovereign rule of this universe, I challenge you, Mosaic Church, as I challenge myself to be a powerful, grounded voice of hope to those around us. As we do this, may Paul's divinely inspired words echo in our hearts from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's true living. Let's be a voice of hope, Mosaic. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are our true hope, that in nothing else is there security and hope that we can always go to you, that you long for us to put our full hope, our full security in you. And so Father, teach us this in the midst of this pandemic Help us to trust more and more in you. I pray that we would be a voice of hope to those around us that are hungering for hope right now in the midst of uncertainty. Lord, I pray that you would give us a bold voice of hope to those around us. Nudge us, push us out into dis- in places of, of even discomfort, Lord, so that we can be that hope. Thank you, Father, that in Christ all of our hopes are met. Be with our church, be with our members, be with this community, Father, as we seek to put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.